Good morning. I was going to say, at least at the beginning of today, that uh, welcome to the Purcell Family Church. But uh, then, oh, some more, some more of y'all came, so that's good to see. Is it on? Okay. So let's uh, stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 2, 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them. In her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father God, we today come in uh, astonishment at the mystery of the incarnation how the Creator God could become a part of that creation and walk among us. Help us to enjoy and celebrate this great miracle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to uh, start off today with a slide. Uh, uh, We have a, a seminary in Russia. In all of our, we have about 30 church leaders around uh, the former Soviet Union that are teaching, writing lessons through the Gospel of Luke, 
And so in every lesson, we have some slides. We try to look at classic pictures, starting with Russian pictures, but then going through church history of different events. And this slide, if you can get it up. We're having some technical difficulty. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a polar bear in a snowstorm. <laughs> there are no polar bears that I know of in Russia, sadly. Maybe, oh, yeah, they are in the north, that's right. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll make a big deal of it. Let me, give me a high sign when it's up, okay? So, we'll skip that for right now. We'll go to the fact that this is the fourth candle, and since we won't be meeting tomorrow, it was good that we went ahead, and there we go, we went ahead and lit, I think, the, the Christmas candle, which is normally, uh, I guess, maybe lit tonight or tomorrow. So today is the candle of love, and we know from the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world, he gave, but then it, uh, the next verse says, God sent his Son into the world. So sending Jesus into the world, the whole package, all that he said and did, all that he fulfilled in the Old Testament, all that is God's love, okay? Everything, in a sense, in the Bible including the hard stuff, including the heavy stuff in the Bible. It's all God's love. So God's love is very, it's very complex. When we talk about God's love, it doesn't mean that there's nothing challenging in it, okay? There's lots of things that are challenging. God is completely different than we are in many ways. We're made in his image, but morally, because of the fall, uh, we are called to change into his image. Acts 17, in fact... When Paul went to the pagans in Athens, he said the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So if you can imagine the mystery of Jesus, of God becoming a man, here Mary is giving birth to someone who created her. Because we know from John 1 that God, that the Word created all things. So Mary gave birth to her Creator. That's hard to figure out. It's also, she gave birth to her judge. Even Mary will be judged by Christ Jesus. <laughs> That's hard to figure out, too. I never judged my mother. I tried a few times. <laughs> didn't work out so well. <laughs> That's a mistake. Every person born will have the meaning of their existence judged by how they have related to the baby that is born in the passage we just read. Every person, every atheist, every Buddhist, every Muslim, uh, whatever you happen, whatever your little quirky side thing is, you will be judged by the baby in the manger. Your whole life will have relevance in eternity according to how you've related to the baby in the manger. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting to me. So today, uh, I'm going to go back now (laughs) and pay attention to this. Today, what we're looking at is the most mysterious thing in the history of the world, certainly 
Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's also a great mystery, okay? But here we have the flagship picture in the Hermitage Museum, and my daughter-in-law, who's a Russian, is applying for her green card. Where is Galena? There she is. Uh, she said last night she missed the Hermitage because we live right down the street from the world's greatest collection of art. It's not the best presented, like the Louvre in Paris, but it is the greatest collection. And uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted this in 1490. So uh, it is incredible. The paint still shimmers. This, her cloak uh, still shimmers. It's, only, it's a very small painting, so you have to kind of bend over to look at it. It's only about this big, right? Uh, we got, I want to come back to it at the end today. Because unless she, the wise men had already come with gold and frankincense and myrrh, I don't think she was quite that wealthy. <laughs> and I'm just, I don't want to disappoint you, but that's, that's a very nice, a very well-off woman right there, <laughs> okay? So, but uh, it, this painting does illustrate how throughout history, after the news of the birth of Christ got spread around the world, how it has engaged our imagination and how the world's greatest artists have tried to picture what was going on there. And so there's uh, one of the greatest examples by Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci in 1490. Today what I'd like to do is cover uh, five S's, sure, sheep, she, shepherds, and Shekinah. And I, I won't take more than an hour on each. I'll try to be actually quite quick. So sure, the passage we just read begins with, in the days, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and then it talks about the Quirinius, uh, who was the governor of Syria. The, the New Testament, especially Luke, he ref- referenced historical figures that are referenced in outside sources. More than any other ancient book, the Bible corresponds with outside uh, other historical accounts. And so Caesar Augustus wrote an autobiography in A.D. 14, and believe it or not, he came across as a really good guy in his autobiography. We didn't know that Caesar was such a good guy, but apparently he was. So we know when Caesar Augustus lived. And then uh, Joseph and uh, Josephus wrote a book called Antiquities, and Quirinius uh, is mentioned there. So both of these men are historical figures. The Christmas account is not a myth, okay? It's not a nice story thought up by someone. Luke was the greatest historian of his time. Next week in the sermon, he, he names six, in chapter 3 of Luke, he names six historical figures. Well, there's no ancient uh, there's no ancient text that in one small place named six historical figures that you can go to other uh, sources and find that those people were real, okay? <laughs> so this account is very well studied. It's beautiful. It's the most read passage of the most read book in the history of the world, but it's given to us as history. This stuff really happened. It really happened like it says it did. It, it is written, Okay. So we can be sure about it. That's the first S. Second S is sheep. And this is for my grandkids here. 
There are, last night there were 13 out of 17 in our house. It was very calm and quiet. Uh, The word manger is the word, if I can find it here again, (laughs) fatieh, fatieh. It is mentioned four times in the, in the, in the book of Luke. And uh, in Luke 13, it's clearly a stall, okay? So in the Old Testament Greek and in the New Testament, it's either a feeding trough. Are you looking, grandchildren? Some of them are. You're writing it down? Drawing pictures of it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm a liberal grandfather. I, I believe that. Okay, so you have a feeding trough, or it's a stall, okay? In both the Old Testament and New Testaments, it's done that way. Now, when we, we, even in some of the songs we just sang, I grew up in public school singing the Little Drummer Boy, the ox and lamb kept time, pum but can you find hard evidence in the Scriptures that the ox and lamb were actually there? See, this is a very important point. Were the ox and lamb with Jesus when he was born? Okay? So I was just looking this up the other day and and looked up manger, this word fatne in the Old Testament. And sure enough, we find it. Not only do we find it in the Old Testament, but we find it in a very meaningful role it's playing. So if you go to Isaiah 1-3, we find that the ox knows its master... The donkey, its own manger, fatne. The donkey knows its own, its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And so, in Isaiah, and it's probably giving us a picture of the moral and spiritual reality of Israel when Jesus was born. That in Isaiah one, they're offering vain. Uh, they're offering vain worship to the Lord. They're going through the motions. They're bringing sacrifices. And God, God says to I, through Isaiah, I'm sick of your offerings. Don't offer me anything else, more or less, because your hearts are far from me, right? And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you worship me in vain. You worship God in vain because you're worshiping according to man's commandments, not according to God's commandments. But Isaiah one three gives us a hint that when Jesus came and there was no place for him and no one in the record, no one welcomed him at all, what he was non-verbally showing us was the reality of Isaiah one three. And what, what does it say? The ox knows its master. So I'm telling you, I can't prove it, the ox was probably there. Because the ox knows its master. And the donkey, its owner's manger. So, of course, Jesus owned everything. So I'm telling you that according to Isaiah 1-3, the donkey was probably there. Okay? You, you, heard, you heard it here first at uh, Redeemer Arlington. You've got to come to Redeemer Arlington to find out these important things. Okay? So the picture is that all of creation understood who Jesus was except people, right? The only people that didn't, the only creatures that didn't get it were the people. (laughs) But the ox and the, the ox and the, uh, 
ass in the old version, ox and the donkey, knew who Jesus was, Isaiah 1.3. So you can argue with me. I can't prove it, but it does seem to me that that's the direction they were heading. Now, the actual physical birth, I have six children. I was in on all their births, and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that I was there. I was glad that I had help. There's nobody in, this, in the passage we just read helping them. Time, it just says, it's very simple. Time, gave, time came for her to give birth. She had a baby. <laughs> so if she was in a fatne, if she was in a stall, a stable-type place, then probably uh, Joseph had to just try to find some clean hay, right? Clean, get the manure out of the way, and then she gave birth like a regular person. This has been hard for the church to deal with. So here's another slide that shows in, eight, uh, in 1810, William Blake, no relation as far as I know. So he, I, he's in a Protestant country in England, but he drew this with her, Mary having a baby that just kind of flew out of her freely, like Jesus going through walls, right? There's the baby. He just appeared through her somehow without any pain, although she does, she is at least le- le- leaning back. She has a halo on her. He has a halo on him, and Jesus has his whole body halo. So uh, the church has had a hard time with the God of the universe being born like everybody else. Very hard time with this. And so, you know, she had a baby. The way it gives, the way it's described is she just had a baby. And so you, you have to think of uh, blood and writhing in pain and uh, Joseph doing the best he could to take care of her. <laughs> just like everybody else. In fact, uh, what does it say in Hebrews? Who's tempted as we are yet without sin. So his human experience, he, he had the human experience we've all had uh, and will have except without sin. So Jesus had a very physical uh, birth. That's, that's what we can... So this, this actually didn't happen like that. I know you're tempted to think it did because... We, we all, you know, want, want to have everything be nice and clean and <laughs> tidy, right? And so that probably didn't happen the way that, that described. All right. Now, the third uh, S is she. Now, the she part is, is Mary in all of this. And uh, what I wanted to emphasize when we talk about she is that uh, there was no one there for her, so Jesus was... This is kind of dealing with both Jesus and Mary at the same time. But what God is showing us here is not only was there nobody there, but they were homeless. So when God became a man, he was homeless. So even though none of us want to ever be homeless, and some of us have been homeless, uh, the, the God of the universe can relate. The God of the universe has been homeless. When he was born, he was homeless. Now, later on, when the wise men came, he was in a house, okay, in uh, Matthew 2, right, when the wise men came. But in Luke 2, he was born homeless. So God can relate no matter, no matter how uh, tough or how confusing or how difficult our life becomes or has been, uh, God has been there when he became a man. He can relate. So uh, that's, that's 
one uh, point of encouragement. I did want to give you uh, the North Texas area is half Hispanic and uh, African American. And so in honor of the Hispanic part, on the way here, I saw about five Spanish signs, taquerera, when you come from the south anyway. So I wanted you to hear how the church heard uh, the speech about and greetings to Mary and everything in Latin, which is almost Spanish, okay? If you're, if you, if I'm a cowboy Spanish speaker. I used to be fluent, semi-fluent in Spanish. So... Uh, I just wanted to run over a few of the way the church for 1,500 years up until the Reformation when we began to do worship services in the local language. It used to be Latin everywhere in all of Western Europe and all Catholic churches until about 1962-63 with Vatican II. So in Luke 1, uh, 128, the whole world, the Western world anyway, used to say, Ave gratia plena. Ave gratia plena. And I think Nelson could probably translate. What is gratia plena, Nelson? Do you know? You don't know? Okay. <laughs> Greetings full of grace. Dominus tectum. The Lord is with you. And I know my grandson is taking Latin now, so he should be able to, he should be able to translate all this. Lewis, yeah. Benedicta tu in murielibus. Blessed are you among women. So now you know. You came here to a Protestant church to hear Latin. So anyway, that's how, it, that's how the whole world would have... Uh, if you, whenever you hear the song Ave Maria, uh, it's basically just Scripture being sung. So don't be too, too uh, turned off by the sound. Ave Maria just means greetings, Maria. And uh, there's o- other wonderful things. And the way, the, where we get the word uh, magnificat is simply how Mary says when she is told she's going to have Jesus, she says, magnificat anima mea dominum. Literally, magnify soul, mind, the Lord. Magnificat anima. Magnify soul, mind, the Lord. So don't be afraid of Ave Maria. That's another thing you've learned today. You learned it here first. Ave Maria, the song, uh, is just quoting Scripture, essentially. Now, uh, the thing that we can get into, I won't get into, but how Mary is portrayed, and this is the last chapter, so we're going through the whole Gospel of Luke with all the Russians, but this is the last time that Mary will have a major role to play. So I'm just going to summarize what I feel the Bible presents. Mary here is a very faithful servant of the Lord, and with us clearly was called to obey God sacrificially, painfully, and humbly, in true poverty, and give God the glory in all things. That's what she was. And that is magnificent, because she was faithful, right? She was no more than that, and she was no less than that. Nevertheless, there is in this simplicity great nobility, as she fulfills Genesis 3.15, the prophecy made 4,000 years before she lived, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So she, just in humble submission to the will of God, played the role of giving birth. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So through her simple obedience, 
she fulfilled an essential role in fulfilling prophecy and in the God of the universe putting down the reign of sin and evil on the earth. As hard as that is to believe how much evil is around us, just think how much worse it would be if Mary had not been faithful, Christ was born the seed of a woman who himself crushed the head of the serpent. So we can thank God for that. Now, because it's a celebration, I wanted to finish on Mary with some very important words from my childhood on Mary. And when the night is cloudy, there is still a light that shines on me. Shine until tomorrow. What? Let it be. I wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. So that's, in my childhood, that's what I knew about Mary. She, she came to John Lennon <laughs> in the night. But anyway, today is a, is a celebration, so we can remember thing, different ways Mary has been presented to us throughout our lives. The next S is the shepherds. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's formal leaders were oblivious to the creator of the universe being born. And so what did God do? He went to people. If you study history, somehow shepherds became during David's time, they don't appear to be outcasts from society. But I did historical research on this, and by the time this happened, the shepherds were looked down upon. They were outcasts. They were considered unclean like tax collectors and, um, and quote, sinners. Sinners were technically people that were not considered. They weren't necessarily doing anything in and of themselves wrong, but they were looked by society as outcasts from the synagogue, okay? And so God does this reversal thing. None of the religious leaders are told by God then and there that Jesus, the the ruler of the universe, is going to be born. And so who does God go to, first and foremost? And this is a theme in the book of Luke. Because in chapter 4, he says, the Spirit of God is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. Right? And who are the shepherds? The poor. Okay, I mean, literally poor, (laughs) not poor in spirit, just poor, (laughs) okay? Lazarus was a beggar. That's the same word, poor there. So God comes to the poorest of the poor and, and reverses everything. And so those that get the greatest privilege are the poor. If he had, if, if, you know, you can imagine this, if he had gone to the religious re- re- leaders, which happened a little later, the wise men came and told Herod that a king is being born, and so what was the response from Herod? Worship? Celebration? No, murder, right? So what, very wisely, God did not tell Herod what was going on at the night of his birth. 
So he, he, tried to, he did kill all the children in that region, boys two years old and younger. So God, in going to the shepherds, is showing us who he is most, uh, who will most willingly accept the news, right? And that was the poor out in the countryside. Okay, and the, li- the last S is Shekinah. Now, where we get Shekinah from is the tabernacle and the temple, when they were finished, had the glory of God come upon them. Fill them, all right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. We're getting there. Okay. So the, uh, this is the final event here, and we'll, in a second we're going to look at the shepherds, uh, how they worshiped. But the Shekinah glory came down in the temple, and uh, the reason it's called Shekinah is tabernacle in Hebrew is Meskan, M-S-K-A-N. And in Russian and in Greek, it became Skeen. So the glory of God in the temple is called the Shekinah glory. So when it says that the shepherds were out in the fields and the glory of God shone around them, it's that glory, the glory of God's very presence, Okay. So there's basically three glories in this passage. The first one is the one they experience, the Shekinah glory. And then what happens? The angels begin singing glory to God. So the angels voice what they're experiencing in God's presence, glory to God, right? So there's God's glory itself, and then there's a response verbally from the angels. And what I wanted to uh, draw out in this immediate uh, place is that 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 glory that the angels were experiencing is mentioned elsewhere because it says all of a sudden there is a heavenly host surrounding them. And that word heavenly host is used in two other places. It's used in Nehemiah 9.6, and even thou uh, art Lord alone, for thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. In this context, in Nehemiah 9, the host of heaven, the same phrase used about the angels is what? It's the sun, moon, and stars. It's all of creation, all the universe, all the galaxies, all the galaxies. You know, we now believe, you know, it's just uh, infinite, in a sense, number of galaxies. So in Nehemiah 8, this same, what the shepherds saw was the host of heaven. And the word host is like military divisions. So he saw, they saw rank upon rank of angels, okay, like a giant parade, okay? That's what they saw. And that represents in Scripture all of creation. And the second place this this, uh, phrase is used is 1 Kings 22, and he said, Hear thou, therefore, the, uh, the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. So uh, it's also used just of the angels themselves around the throne of God. So what the shepherds saw was the throne of God. That's what they saw. And Jesus being born was like the Prince of Wales being born. He wasn't enthroned yet in a sense, right? But he was born a king, all right? So the scripture itself shows us that this, as a child, you sing angels we have heard on high. I had the picture 
that angels are just flying by and they happen to see something interesting, they thought they'd swoop in for a moment, right? That's how I pictured it. But the Scripture actually says that this same term, host of heaven, is what's around the throne of God. So the throne of God moved in on the manger, okay? The throne, well, that's not technically correct. I made a mistake, made a mistake, first one ever. They moved in on, the throne of God moved in on the shepherds, and then the shepherds went and told them. It's not, they're not all in one place physically, so even though, even though we have a picture. All right, so here is a photograph of the actual event uh, of the angel, and then the second one is their response to it. Yeah, there you go. There's a photograph of the actual shepherds, and it's hard to get, very hard to get, you know, especially the color, color is hard to get from the year uh, zero, <laughs> right? <laughs> very difficult, Okay. So, uh, the thing that we have to understand, though, is their response was, in King James, is they were sore afraid. So, this is not little cherubs flying around. This was, uh, this, this was an uh, awe-inspiring, awe okay? When the, the same thing happens in the Bible, people fall down on their faces, okay? So, th- this was the kind of thing that could knock you down, all right? So, in case you have pictures of Raphael's angels flying around, little babies with wings. That's not, that's not what they saw. Okay, now, let's finish up. And so, uh, the, the Scripture itself would, ta- would tell us it's true after all what Henry Van Dyke wrote and that Beethoven put to music, all thy works with joy surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays, stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. So that symbolically, what was going on with the shepherds was all of creation and all the angels uh, were in on the act in worshiping, okay? This is a great, great mystery. Uh, this, this is kind of, uh, it's astounding to think of the poorest of the poor. Perhaps this was the greatest revelation of the glory of God on the earth ever, okay? So the poorest of the poor got to see more of God than anyone has ever seen before or since. It's possible. It's possible. So, (laughs) but finally, uh, what happens is there is a final glory. And it says that they, the the shepherds came. So you can go to the last one that focuses in on the shepherds, the last slide. There you go. The shepherds came glorifying God. The shepherds came glorifying God. And so the way that God works and this is what's so challenging, you could even say frustrating, is God does show his glory to people, okay? But for most of us, we're not the shepherds. We have to see his glory by faith. And so Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the preaching of Christ. So we, for the most part, humans have to believe in the glory of God at Christmas by faith. Okay, we, we're more like Mary and Joseph lying, sitting in the manger and the shepherds come and tell us they just saw the glory of God. That's, what, that's how it works now on the earth. And so you and I have to decide when, it, when the scripture says glory to, to God in the highest, that's an adverb in that glory to God, uh, praise to God in the most highest way you can possibly praise him. And I can say, before, I came to, before God showed himself to me in 1974, 
I could not praise God like that. I was not capable of it. If you, by faith, have not seen the glory of God in Christ, you cannot sing that song the way it's meant, glory to God in the highest, because because our flesh, we're always full of ourselves. And so you can't give all glory to God. You're still in charge of yourself. Until you have surrendered to the babe in the manger who became the Lord of the universe and is the creator of the universe, you cannot sing that song the way it was sung by the angels. Okay? You can't. You're, you're spiritually and morally, imp- it's not possible to mean that. Glory to God in the highest. So today, uh, since some of you are visiting and maybe haven't been to church in a while or something, I uh, offer you the glory of God in the highest, but you have to surrender your life totally to Jesus Christ to see the glory of God. That's what has to happen today. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the preaching of Christ. So I'm preaching Christ today. If you have never seen the glory of God in the highest by faith, then you can right now ask God to reveal his glory to you, and he'll do it. Do you believe that? (laughs) Amen. So, let's pray. Father God, we praise you for today. We praise you for this wonderful picture that we get of your son being born. Help us to celebrate his heart, uh, his birth in the way that honors you. Help us to see the glory of God in Christ, that he is worthy of our lives in every way possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>